listening to Halloween Unleashed. What did you do with Marnie? She's on the cutting room floor. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the cutting room floor. Today we are joined by Vincent DeSanti. He's the creative genius behind the wildly successful 2017 Friday the 13th fan film Never Hike Alone, with a prequel and three future installments having just been announced. Mr. DeSanti, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, good to be here. Thanks for, uh, I gotta thank you for coming on. Uh, Personally, never a very big fan of Never Hike Alone, so it's great to be talking to you. We had Andrew on the show before, uh, right before you announced the uh the future installments and i knew he he almost let it out oh i don't doubt it that guy's got loose lips i know <laughs> i know him he's probably teasing things saying stuff <laughs> no i love andrew it's good he, he was he must have been fun to have on oh no he was great within the first 15 seconds he said his balls were sweating oh yeah <laughs> that's nice did he wear his hat he did wear his hat but i think he had it all on right back. all right well i got it on ford yeah he got me this hat because he wiped my other hat on his nuts Actually, it's this hat right here. <laughs> I saw this that the one. video that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So we went on a little, you know, anybody who's in our Never Hike Alone group has seen us go on our little, like, we've been doing it, like, since the beginning of the project, and people are just starting to catch on. Like, him and I go to war in the comments on each other and always pick on each other. So I'm glad people are finally catching on and seeing kind of, like, what life is on set with us. Oh, no, that's always great to see. You guys definitely have a lot, a lot of people have called, like, a, like a <laughs> Feuding bromance, so I think that's mm. always great comedy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Have you always been, like, a big fan of horror? Yeah, I mean, I grew up a big horror fan. My my mom read a lot of Stephen King. She watched a lot of horror movies, and um, I was always, you know, I used to see her, like, Stephen King books on the shelf, and so I'd always kind of, like, peek in and look at them and read pieces of them and, and stuff like that, and I didn't understand them because I was so young, and then I saw that similar type of, you know, aesthetic with the horror genre when we started watching movies as I was a kid. And so um, that really that's really what led to it. It was like cover art and box art and VHS art that was all kind of enticing because it looks dangerous. And oh, what is that? I want to know what that is. And, uh, you know, one of the things that fell on my lap through that was Friday the 13th. I just remember seeing the hockey mask on the on some of the covers and being drawn to that and then being kind of classic, classic case of like, too young to really know the franchise. I discovered Jason first, and then I went back and discovered Pamela and watched the films in order and all that stuff. But I mean, it was really just a love for like scary movies. When when uh, what was so you watched them all in chronological order? I watched them all out of order, and then I watched them in chronological chronological order. What was the first one you saw? Um, I always, you know, I don't know. I always, I think it's part seven was the first one I saw. Um. Because I, I remember the intro, and I remember seeing all the entries to the films, um, and seeing all these like moments. And so I remember, like, I had seen part seven, and then I started watching all the other films, and I remembered the moments from each of the films that it took from. So like part two with like Sackhead jumping up in the darkness with like the spear, or um, you know Ted White bursting through the door, or like a lot of the stuff with C.J. Graham. I think that's like. In, in part seven with I mean with part six with him rising from the grave and stuff like that and Tom Matthews and the, him being a big part of that prequel thing that they always put in the front of Fridays. Um, so I think that was what it was. And I kind of got this like 
intense like download of what Friday the 13th was. And then I started renting all the tapes. But this is back in the day when Friday the 13th was like really popular, like really, really popular. So anytime you wanted to go to the to the to the store to rent it, it was always rented out. So you had to go with what was left. And so, you know, like I had to bounce around. I could never watch. I, it took me a long time to watch them in order. I'll just say that. If you had to pick a favorite and a least favorite of the franchise, what would those be? My favorite is part six, um, with part four being a close second. Like my top three are, it's six, four, two. Like those I think are like the, the three best in the series as far as like execution and um, scares and just overall character and all that stuff. But those are the ones that, that really stand out to me. The one that I like the least is the 2009 remake because I think it's a lazy movie. I think it's a it's a lazy twenty million dollar movie. For twenty million dollars, I I just expected a little bit, something a little bit more cohesive and less kind of um, backyard school movie where it was just kind of I don't know. I just I, I didn't really vibe with that film. I thought Derek Mears made a great Jason. I I think my biggest gripe with it is that it was vastly underutilized. With the budget they had, they could have done so much more. I would agree with you on the budget of those side, and I would agree with you with the favorite films, but you got to disagree. I love me some Jared Padalecki. Mm. But I feel like he, I don't know, I just, I, I feel like the direction of his character in that, in that film, and like, it's just very moody, and he's very moody, and like the, like the, it's not him. I mean, if it was about either, if the film was about him, and they really focused on him, and it wasn't so like cliche, like him going to the door and him being like, you don't know where to walk. And it was just very like, I've seen these scenes a thousand times before. You know, I saw that same scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre by the same director. And so, I don't know, I, I expected them to go a little bit further with their storytelling. And the fact they came up with all these teens who really had nothing to do and were just sitting around and had no arcs and were just wait, like, I don't know, I just felt like they didn't put, they just kind of weighed everything on the tropes rather than try and find something interesting to say with the franchise and bring it into, like, today's, like, to bring it into, I mean, think about how sophisticated a lot of like the horror films are today. Not all of them. I think indie horror gets away with a lot, but franchise horror needs to really connect and like bridge into the next films. And you know, I don't think that 2009 was a well-built machine to really lead into the next movie. It was very clunky and sloppy. And you know, I think that it's it's kind of you know box office returns of like being really big opening weekend because everybody wanted to see Friday the Thirteenth, but having the biggest drop off in history. Um, was a big sign of what started for me. And I, I take it personally because I see it as this sign of they went through four iterations after that and they couldn't get a movie made. And it's really like the downfall of Friday the 13th before the legal stuff ever came up. So that's that that film kind of has like a, I don't know, I, I see it as like the beginning of the end. So <laughs> that's what I always associate it. And that's why I consider it the worst one. I, well, I think you're right. They definitely, they put, they go deep in the pain of tropes. You know, there's a lot of titties, there's a lot of blood, and there's a lot of characters with no backstory or meaning. Which, you know, that not to say that those things aren't found in the friend and you know the other yeah. parts of the franchise, but that's not what defines Friday. Yeah, I know. I think that like after you have 30 years to analyze a franchise and figure out what works and what doesn't, um, and also bring something new to the thing, because I think that like their attempt to even bring more story to the Jason backstory was clunky and confusing because he's a little boy when he comes out and gets his mother's head but when did he drown because he was supposed to drown in 1957 and so like you get i get nerdy with it so like when i got nerdy with it and i really broke the film down and started to be like okay if you had all this time to really figure it out and like kind of fill in all the plot holes of friday the 13th like what are all your solutions and the solutions were mining tunnels and 
and you know, and this story about how a guy just wants to be left alone, but yet does everything within his power to go outside the bounds of Camp Crystal Lake and mess with people. So it it like really confused me. I'm like, wait, is he is he trying to hide? Why is he going and like he? You say he's smart and all he does all these things, but it, it, he literally just leaves a trail of dead bodies, and the cops literally look the other way. I feel like you've stepped one step beyond what I'm willing to understand of like a functioning town. This just feels like a trope. Everything just feels so tropey and so false that you haven't built a, you know, you haven't built a like world building. Like if this is going to go forward and you're bringing back these cops and you're bringing back these characters, or if you're continuing a storyline about this town, I don't see how this town goes to continue on because this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then they also had the, you know, they, they had tried to cram the first three movies into one without making it yeah, I, much longer than any of the other, you know, the Friday movies are 90 minutes. That's about it. And you're cramming three movies worth of, I guess part three doesn't have a whole lot in it besides getting the hockey mask, but yeah. all this origin story into one movie. Yeah, no, it's a lot. It's just, there's, I don't know. It, it feels like it's a mishmash of the first three movies. It's like a best of, but I don't know. I, I don't want to see the greatest hits. I want to see something new. And I think that that's where kind of Never Hike Alone came from. It was the idea of, like obviously I had limited resources, but um, but within those limited resources, finding an interesting tale to see to show Jason in a way you've never done it before, show the camp the way you've never never done it before, and tell story like you've never done it before in a Friday the Thirteenth and set things up. Um, so it was really it was a challenge, like you know, to kind of do that because you would think on paper I'm not doing any of the tropes, um, but we found a way to to make it interesting and make it you know suspenseful, and I think that that's for me where the heart of Friday the 13th lies and something that I think that 2009 actually lacks is I don't feel a lot of suspense. I don't feel anything for the characters. I'm just kind of like sitting back. It feels like another slaughter, a splatterhouse flick. And, you know, the Friday, you know, you see it in the comments all the time, people debating who's the best Jason, who's the worst Jason. And I think oftentimes certain actors, and I think Kane Hodder is a great example, will get a lot of shit for having been in movies that, honestly weren't that great but that doesn't mean his performance wasn't good so with that said who are your favorite and least favorite people to have portrayed jason oh wow i don't you know i don't have a oh i'll, I'll i think like my favorite is ted my favorite is ted white i love i love his work um i would say you know him i love cj's work kane's work is is speaks for itself i think that it comes down for me it's it's less about the actors and more about the portrayals I think in Freddy versus Jason, I think that that was not a great portrayal of the character. I didn't like the way that they took Freddy and I mean the way that they took Jason and the way they designed Jason. I feel like that was one of the worst designs, even though I did the open jacket for Never Hike Alone. The open jacket style, which they was predominant in 2009 and Freddy versus Jason. I don't like either of those looks. That's another reason why I don't like those films. But I like the idea of the of the jacket. So I tried to kind of tailor it back. Um, and that's where that came from. But um, with Freddy versus Jason, I just I don't know. I just it's that wasn't the Jason we thought was going to fight Freddy. And I just I didn't really love the overall tone of that film um, as a, as a fan. I wanted to do something. But I mean, at the same time, I do enjoy the story of it. I think it's actually a really clever story. I just don't like the way that like Jason is portrayed, the way he looks, the way the mask looks, just very droopy, not very. And I don't know, it's a little silly. Um let me think. Is there anything else? The only other thing that I would say that like that I don't like from Jason is in the killer cut of 2009 when they make uh, Jason have a temper tantrum 
in his like little den. Like that scene, I like I, that was one of the ones that lost me completely. Like a mo- that's like a Jason moment that like completely lost me. Um, I'm not a big fan of. And I, I love Adam Marcus, and I like I, I like I have. I've never been a huge fan of Jason Goes to Hell, but it's grown on me over the years. But I still like that design has always been a little like the tucked in shirt and the bubbly head. I don't know. I wanted, I've, I always kind of liked, uh, you know, the part six, like that type of style, like the, and I like the colors of that. Like he was in a blue jumpsuit for that one. And, and I really like the darker greens and Browns, obviously, by the way, like I designed mine. So I like, I think if, if you wanted to know my, my preference for Jason, if you look at the ghost Jason design, it really is kind of my culmination of all the things I love about Jason, which is something unique with the mask. How do you feel about part five? I love part five. I love Roy Burns. Um, I think that movie is hilarious. I probably would have hated it when it came out back in, you know, 1985, uh, 85, or I think it was 85. Uh, yeah. I probably would have hated it because it didn't have Jason in it. I remember the first time I watched it, it didn't have Jason in it. I was so confused. I didn't know who the hell the dude in the mask was. I couldn't tell. And I was like, well, where was the, who was the, I didn't really understand it. And I didn't understand it for many years later, but I've come to appreciate it. And some of my favorite Jason scenes are in that film and not so much the Roy Byrne stuff, but all the Jason nightmare stuff. And that was a big influence on Never Hike Alone. Um, you know, that's t- Tom Morga in those costs, in that costume playing, you know, the J- Jason that pops up behind Tommy in a few scenes. That one always scared the shit out of me, especially when he was at the end of the bed in the hospital. That, that freaked me out. Um, so I really, I really enjoy kind of that side of it it is it's not the best friday the 13th film but it is the last true blue friday the 13th film i would agree because you know at once part six comes and tom mclaughlin said this on a number of occasions that you know he made it funny and he tried to so five was definitely the last serious one and i had the great pleasure last week of getting to interview deborah Voorhees. oh yeah and she had brought a perspective to my attention that i think a lot of friday fans don't really think about is they took the same style from part one. You had a, a parent who tragically lost a child mm-hmm. and not a rampage out of revenge. It just happened to be executed not quite as well. Well, it was very campy. They wanted the body count up. Um, and you can tell the production value had dropped for that film uh, compared, oh. to, compared to the previous films. Um, but at the same time, it still, I mean, it still did pretty, I mean, it still had some pretty cool stuff in it, but yeah, I mean that, that's why I was saying it's the last true blue Friday, the 13th, because Tom McLaughlin really changed. He, he was the first one to change the formula. Um, I mean, he, he changed sort of the, I mean, he brought it back to what people wanted to do. He brought kids back to the camp. He stopped going off to the other locations where Jason or the Jason like character would eventually go. And if you watch like the the production value and the way the film is to- like, you can kind of tell that there's a big jump from five to six. But if you watch one through five, they all have aesthetically the same feel, look, structure, kind of story structure, and all that stuff. And six was the one that kind of brought it up into like the bigger, blo- more blockbustery type Friday the Thirteenth. And I think that that's where, even though I, I love the first five films and I, you know, they're great, I think that. I don't know. I think that blockbustery style Friday the 13th is where I think I fell in love with the six, the sevens and the eights. And even though eight is probably low on everyone's list, there's something about that film, about the grand of it. And the fact that Jason is so larger than life and the fact that he was treated so larger in life that I think that that's something that I'd like to see come back for the series again is this larger than life character that um, really rallies fans to go to the theater and watch it. We just need to put him in 
a good story. And I think that that's why I'm, I'm pushing the Never Hike Alone web series is because we're going to take Jason. We want to make him larger than life again. And then we want to put him through a story that by the time you get to the end of it, you feel like you've been, you know, you've been told the story you've always wanted to hear about Friday the 13th. Uh, without getting, you know, too analytical, what did you think of Vengeance? Um, you know, I, I worked with those guys for a little while and then, and then we parted ways. Um, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy and I have talked about it. We, uh, we both see the, the, the Friday the 13th franchise very differently. Um, he's very much, you know, an old school guy. He loves, you know, the, you know, the, the high body counts. And he, you know, I remember when we were first talking about it, he was really talking about the kills that he wanted to do. And I think that like, as far as like the, the goals that he pitched to me when he was first doing it, I think that, that he did what he wanted to do. Um, you know, my my warning to him, I think, was, you know, knowing the subject matter that he was tackling, the Elias, you know, storyline, some of the things that he wanted to do with it, that it, it's a highly polarizing subject. Um, that's not always a bad thing. I think that you, when you have something that has, you know, both positive and negative, you know, d- views on it, it creates a lot of debate and it creates a lot of communication within the franchise. And I think that uh, franchise fans is what I mean by that. And you see a lot of people debating it. And I think sometimes it goes overboard. And I think that that's the unfortunate side effect of the internet. I remember when I was on, you know, message boards 10, 15 years ago on bloody disgusting where we would like roast each other while talking about the films. It's just kind of part of the culture. Um, and it's sometimes it's, it, it goes too far, but you know, as far as, you know, I think that that can work in their favor just from the fact that, you know, look at Jason goes to hell. Jason goes to hell is not usually considered high on most people's list, but it's the most divisive film within the franchise. And it's one of the most talked about. So why would one of the ones that is not considered, you won't see it usually in the top five, be the one that's talked about a lot. I think that that's why that's one of the reasons why you're going to see the, um, in the heart of darkness, um, or the dark heart of Jason Voorhees, the, um, in the heart of darkness. Yes. Joseph Campbell. Uh, (laughs) um, the dark heart of Jason Voorhees in that, in that, uh, documentary about like how this crazy film got made. And I think that, you know, anytime a fan jumps into the ring to make a fan film, the most important thing that anyone can do is finish a film. And, you know, that's, that's the task that a lot of people are up to. And so, you know, we were fortunate to get through our film and release it and, and, and have our reception, you know, vengeance just had their, their moment. You have stuff like Voorhees, Jason rising, uh, the fall of camp blood, and, you know, Here Comes the Night just came out um, and you had the Jason versus Michael thing that came out not too long ago. I, I think what's important is that people are, especially when you're crowdfunding and you're working with other people's money, that if you say you're going to do something, you follow through and you, you complete it. And I think that that's the ultimate, like, you know, I think that that's the ultimate lesson here with, with any fan film. And, and I think no matter what people think of Vengeance overall, I, I, I think everyone has to say unanimously it was great to see, you know, CJ Graham back on screen, Steve Dash, all these guys. It's just great to have them part of it. Like we would never hike alone having Tom Matthews back on screen. Mm-hmm. No matter what you think of the film, those moments are, are just, you know, something that you, you can't explain the nostalgia. And again, taking a chance and the execution of it may vary, like with Jason Goes to Hell, but they tried something different. They mm-hmm. didn't just try to copy and paste what had come before them. And you got to give them a little credit for that, I think. No, yeah. I mean, I think anyone, I mean, that's what I'm saying. You get credit for doing it. And that's, and that's, and that's why when I talked to Jeremy about it, when I said, listen, you've picked a divisive thing. So you can't expect it to be all sunshine and rainbows out on the other side because you're doing some things that like 
that are going to upend the series. You know, you're, you're making drastic changes. You're making, you know, you're following characters that weren't established before. So it's going to like it like, you know, one of the things I've always learned about Friday the 13th is that all the fans are different and that we all love a different film. A lot of us enjoy the same films. But when you start to get into our twos and threes and fours and fives, we start to vastly different as things and those kind of tailor our taste about what we will put up with <laughs> so to speak with a fry like the things that we will forgive like i will forgive part five four i will forgive part eight four and i will justify why it's higher on my list than something like freddie versus jason which is a way better movie you know when it comes to being production value and all that stuff so i think that that's kind of the fun part of friday the 13th um and i think that what happens is is that say like in vengeance's case they've done something that is polarizing. Well, the polarizing community that goes for it is going to be just as strong as the polarizing community that's against it. And that in its own form creates its own controversy and subject matter it becomes something you can talk about. You know, it's a theory that, you know, a lot of these fan film kind of projects that are coming out, you usually won't see them being pitched at a, at a major studio. You wouldn't see these things coming to life. So fans are bringing together, bringing to life stories that the studios would never make. And if they did make it, who knows what they would do? Cause they don't really seem to pay attention to what the fans want or like take any credence to what has been established before for us to kind of create some kind of continuity. Um, you know, they dismiss it. And I think that this is kind of like one of those experiments, you know, vengeance is an experiment just as much as never hike alone was an experiment, taking Jason out of his formula and putting him in a survivalist movie. Um, and that was a risk. And I think, you know, we, and my, our team worked really hard and we came up with something that was unique and we brought our own style to it. And, and that's, you know, and, and it, it, the work kind of speaks for itself and, you know, same with Jeremy and his team. I mean, they brought their style to it and they shot it their way and, you know, they're, that's, that's all they can do. They can only go out with what they, what they aimed for. And so they're gonna, they're gonna pick up fans as they go. And I, and I would say to people, don't compare the two. And that's the big thing that's going on. People are comparing Vengeance to Never Hike Alone. And they're, and they're not the same. They're not meant to be the same. They're meant to be it's apples and oranges. You know, Never Hike Alone is meant to continue after so-and-so until a different story. Vengeance is meant to take place after six until a vastly different story. So people should quit comparing the two because they're not something to be compared to one another. Well, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think that, I think that the comparison is inevitable. And I talked to, I, that was one thing I talked to Jeremy about too. It's like comparison just comes because people pick their favorites. And then when they start to list them out and they start to see like, oh wait, why do you like that? You're going to see people listing all the things of why they like a film. And I think that within those like defense of films where we take with, with the ones that we love, it's within those defenses that one day a fan is going to read it because they've either made an assumption about it or maybe they didn't make it all the way through the film. I know a lot of people with Never Hike Alone I met a lot of people who watched it. They were they didn't really know what was going on, and they turned it off. And then when they went back and they watched it again, and they went all the way through, they, you know, they realized, oh, okay, I, if I give it the time and I let it do its slow burn, that it will pay off. And I think just like that, when when fans go out and defend a film and they give people reasons to watch it, then people go in with a certain kind of ready to accept it if they're looking for specific things. And I think that that's. That's kind of part of how we discover the other films or end up warming up to the other films is because we understand why people love them. I know that that's what that's what turned me on to Jason Goes to Hell is for years I just dismissed it. I remember the way it made me feel as a kid because I watched Jason blow up and it fucking broke my heart. 
<laughs> I was like, no, no. And like, literally, I was in shock for like a half hour. I don't even know if I watched the movie after that. I was just like, no, I don't care if it's like Jason in the mirror. I'm like, where's Jason? And so I never got over that. And so like years later when I got over it and I was kind of like, whatever, the, the movie is what it is. You know, I, I talked to my buddy Brandon and he was just going on and on about why he loved the film and all the different things. And so when I went back and tried to view the film through his eyes, I enjoyed it much more. And then shortly after that, I ended up meeting Adam Marcus and he told me things about the film and aspects about the film. And so when I watch the film now, it reminds me of like the conversations we had. And so like now I've attached good memories to it. I've replaced that memory of being so shell shocked <laughs> that Jason blew up in my face when I was just like, cause you got to imagine like, I was just, I was a new fan. I had just like maybe like chain smoked the entire franchise trying to go into Jason Goes to Hell thinking I'm like, yes, here it is. Finally, all the answers I need. To, like what is going on in this series? And then they blew him up. Like what the fuck? Like it just, yeah. So like it, uh, so those, I think that's how it is. I think like whatever it is, whether you like a movie when you first see it or you don't, you know, I think eventually if you, Learn to look at it through the fans' eyes and see why they enjoy it and not try to ruin it for anybody else. I think that's the important thing. You can have your opinion, but don't try to ruin someone else's opinion. Um, and then it's all it's all fair game. And I think I've had, and I've told this story before about, I, I have a knack throughout history of starting a franchise with not always the best ones. My first Star Wars movie was Phantom Menace, and I loved it. I was eight years old, which only made the better films that much better. My first Jurassic Park film was Jurassic Park 3. Not everyone's favorite. Makes the other one seem better. My first Friday was part three. Iconic, yes. The best Friday, probably not. But it makes the other ones better by comparison. So mm-hmm. I think it depends on your perspective. If Jason Goes to Hell is your first entrance into the series, I think that's just going to make you love it a whole lot more. Or it's going to confuse the hell out of you. Yeah, I mean, I think it would confuse the hell out of people if they watched that one first. <laughs> I mean, it would be a, a weird introduction because the rest of the films would be, like, completely different. Same thing, I mean, Jason X, too. I mean, Jason X was the first one I got to see in the theater. So that was, even though it is a subpar film, I enjoy it to the aspect that I have good memories associated with it. You know, I remember when I saw it with my friends. I remember how much anticipation there was. I remember expecting it to be stupid as hell. And I went in with those low expectations. And I think that that's why 2009 doesn't sit high on my list because I went in with high expectations. I went in, they're going to finally, like, again, I went in with that. They're finally going to figure this out and they're going to make a good one. And I walked out of that movie just like, yeah, (laughs) I want to like it. I really want to like it. But a lot of these things, like there's a lot of like things I got to answer, try to answer to for like why I should like it. And I just, i lost that battle with my brain. I, mean, I think a lot of it is you have a filmmaker's uh, brain when it comes to analyzing things. What was, was horror and Friday the 13th what got you into filmmaking, or was that kind of a passion you always had? Yeah, I mean, I think that it was really, it was a boost because I always, I started to really fall in love with um, practical effects. So watching and, and stunts and things like that, just like any time a film did something where you go like, wait, how do they do that? You know, I wanted to know how that was made and thinking that, like, I remember there's a scene in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where he's riding around the Warner Brothers back lot and he goes through, like, Godzilla's set and, like, all these other things. And I remember seeing, like, Godzilla's set and all the people working there and thinking, oh, man, I would love to work there. That looks like a fun office. Like, if I want to do anything, like, because at the time I also wanted to play baseball, but, like, that was the only other thing that I ever saw. And I was like, that looks like a fun job. And I always thought about that and that's i think what kind of 
brought my interest into it. And then I was just an avid movie watcher and consumer. And I was constantly, you know, no matter where I went, no matter what I thought I was going to do in life, film always had some type of influence on me. And so when I eventually found my way into filmmaking, um, it was it kind of like clicked. Like as soon as I made the decision where I was going full boat into filmmaking, um, things started to make sense and my life started to progress in a way that that I, I think that like because I was so passionate about it, I, I went after the things I wanted to get and, um, and and just made stuff happen. I credit Deadbeat James for getting me into Never Hike Alone because it was his episode of The Kill Count that exposed me to it. And I watched a, a short interview he had done with you mm-hmm. where you talked about, you know, the, the catalyst behind you making Never Hike Alone saying some of the later films kind of got a little silly and you were trying to make a back to basic style film. Mm-hmm. What was your ultimate goal when you sat down to start making Never Hike Alone? My ultimate goal was to just tell a complete story and have it be interesting. And, and you know, my goal with it was an exercise to really show off that I could direct something that I could see something in my head and then I could materialize it with a team on set and with all the you know tools that you utilize to make film with and I think at that time I had been frustrated as a filmmaker um, because I had felt the you know there's certain limitations as you're moving up and you're trying to get better and better where you feel like you can do better or you're looking for a cinematic look or you're kind of you know, doing that when my goal with Never Hike Alone was to shoot something that when people watched, they went, wow, this is really cinematic. This feels like a real movie. I wouldn't know that this was shot by three dudes hanging out the back of a Jeep. You know what I mean? Like and, and going into the woods and just shooting stuff that we were going to piece it together and build stuff and use, you know, what I had learned in like the seven, eight years that I've been working in the, in the industry at the time that like watching directors and watching storyboard artists and editors and people work and production designers and seeing that. You know, the answers aren't aren't very hard, you know, to do this. Like when you really when you get good at something and you watch people are really good at it, it's still challenging. But there are so many basic things for you to like kind of start your palette with that once you start building your palette and you just make a few choices, everything else kind of falls into place because you start to it starts to materialize for you. And I think that like I was having trouble making those things materialize on set and I wanted to make Never Hike Alone the thing that like always, you know, was like, no, this is like actually how I see it. And so when we found that camp, it was our biggest opportunity because that became our ability to create scope and scale. And so we're able to open up and have, you know, locations and something that wasn't going to cost us any money because we had to go to it. You know, there was nothing we could do to like, you know, there was wasn't like we were renting out from people. It's just abandoned and it's sitting there. So. Um, that became like our, our canvas. And so we just wanted to paint the best story with that canvas as far as like on the back end about, I just wanted people to like it. I wanted to, you know, my goal with it was to release it and hopefully people watch it and people talk about it for a little bit, but ultimately that it would be good enough that someone would want to play it on the big screen somewhere in front of another Friday the 13th. And we were lucky enough to get into the Telluride horror show with it and do an opening night selection screening on Friday the 13th in October two years ago. And, you know, that was like a dream come true. And really, that was it. I mean, I was just happy that we got to go there and show it to people. And it it was a special surprise on Friday the 13th. And everything that kind of happened after it was, you know, kind of just a blessing in disguise. I didn't realize that that people were going to take to it so much. That camp you talked about, and I think this kind of played to your advantage, because when you watch the movies, it's not like they take you on a tour through the entire camp. You see very limited visibility of the buildings that are there, hence why they're able to shoot at so many different places. Like, I live in Georgia where they shot part six. 
mm-hmm. and you know, they shot part one in New Jersey, so on and so forth. And your camp was in California. I want to one, how did you find that camp? And what all did you guys do to it to set dress? Because, you know, you, you <laughs> called back so much from part one with, you know, the kill locations and the shower and the archery range and things like that. And for what mm-hmm. Andrew had told me, y'all didn't have to beat it up too much because it, again, it had just kind of been there for, you know, 30 some odd years. Well, we were shooting a, we were shooting the teaser, the one that we released in May of 2016, down the street. And the people who we were filming around their cabins basically said, why are you guys filming here? You should film at the camp. We told them that we didn't have money for a camp. And then they told us that there's an abandoned camp a mile up the road and that if we looked on this map, we would find it. And so they showed us a map. I took a picture of it and I did my research. And eventually we found the access road, which was blocked off. Um, and then we found out that it was actually open. So we opened up the gate and we drove up and we found this camp that was just left there. And so like we discovered, you know, as time went on that mostly it had just been sitting there. It had been abandoned back in the eighties for over like a dispute over water source. And so since the camp didn't want to deal with it or even deal with that location anymore, they just moved to another camp and they shut that one down and locked the gates. And that was it. And no one, and it's just, I don't, it's just been there ever since. Um, and the only people who ever find it now are just people who take these very specific hike trails, um, from a campground, but you have to follow a specific thing and it's a pretty tough hike. And then of course there are locals that go there. So we got to meet most of those people and we told them what we were doing. And, you know, part of the deal was we were set dressed in the camp. So we built tables and we put up the curtains and we reboarded the windows so we could let some light in. Um, you know, and we cleaned up a lot, you know, we took a lot of trash out. We took a lot of glass out when we were done shooting, we completely renovated the, uh, the main cabin. So we redid the, the windows again, took out all the glass, took out all the trash, um, and really tried to clean it up. So when people go to visit there, that if they want to stop and take a break in the shade, that they can go there and not worry about stepping on a nail or glass or like cutting their arm on something that they could actually, you know, take a breather and actually hang out in a really cool, uh, place to, to really check out. Speaking of injuries, from what I understand, you sustained a pretty serious injury during the filming of the movie and you stayed on set the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. What happened? Um, I was, we were set dressing for a shot where in the shot didn't even get used in the movie, uh, where Andrew walks by like these broken windows and I was putting a door frame up in the window to kind of, you know, just create some shapes in the, in the frame and stuff like that. And as I was reaching through the window, there was a piece of glass I didn't see sticking out and it cut my arm and it literally felt like something bit me. Um, it felt like a bite. And then like I flipped my arm over and I just saw like cut down to the fatty tissue, like deep in. And I was like, oh shit and I was just I just remember being so pissed because I we had just done all this work to get up there we were just about to get ready to do some work and get some stuff done and shit now I'm now I'm cut and what am I supposed to do and so we ended up just uh I ran over to the to the U-Haul truck and I wrapped it up best I could just to keep it from anything getting into it you know talked to the guys and said all right just wrap my arm up we so we wrapped it in a bandage we wrapped it in a towel like duct taped it and you know for the next six, seven hours, we just worked. Um, we finished our shots. We got through the day, went back to our Airbnb and then Kyle, the producer took me to the emergency room where I got stitched up and, uh, you know, actually interviewed the, the nurses about cuts and what happens when you get cut out in nature. Cause they were lecturing me about like, well, when did you cut this? I said, Oh, you know, about seven hours ago. And they were like seven hours ago, Jesus. I was like, well, I wrapped it up and they were like, still like, if you were out in the forest and you were around stuff, this could have got infected. Like we really got to clean this thing out. And I was like, do what you got to do. And so, I mean, they spent, 
I want to say 20, 25 minutes just spraying this wound with saline. And it did not feel comfortable. It did not feel good. And it was part of the inspiration for what we did with Kyle's leg in, in Never Hike Alone. It, it like as I was I was that scene was always in Never Hike Alone, but me experiencing that firsthand helped me kind of bring an extra level to both Andrew's performance and both the kind of the logic behind what he was trying to do and why he had to do what he had to do and make people understand that if he didn't clean out that leg, if he would have gone out the other way and never came back to get his supplies, he eventually would have succumbed to some type of infection, would have gotten lost because he was on an unknown trail and didn't have his maps. And then, you know, if the coyotes didn't get him, that this infection would eventually overtake him and he would get lost and he would die. So if he get back and heal it and go home and get out the other side, it would have made more sense. Now, of course, you know, Never Hike Alone is, you know, it's pretty much a two-character movie. It's Kyle and Jason. So Mm -hmm. you have to be very selective when picking the lead for this because he's pretty much all you see on screen for 45 minutes. Was Andrew always the choice or uh, did you just do some auditions? No, I mean, I've known known Andrew for a long time. We worked together. um, And when I first came up with this project, I asked him if he wanted to do it. He said yes, and he's been the guy ever since. Um, And I think that for a ride um and i think that um you know that friendship helped us really put trust in one another and we grew as friends as we made it and we got really close just from you know being working on set and i know he was really you know the only thing that i needed out of him was the dedication and he brought it i mean he didn't cut his hair he didn't shave his beard except for the one time that he delayed production for six weeks (laughs) because he had to shave his beard for a commercial um that i'll never let him forget about but i still love him anyway uh, but he, but that was like kind of like the, one of the things we had to do was like we were working within everyone's schedules, so that was one of the things that like like shit, Andrew's got to shave, we got to wait, we got to delay everything. So, um, but anyway, he he was just you know he had the personality for it, and as we started to craft Kyle and who he was, we had done the the trailer, the first one, and it was a good experimentation about like what he could bring to the character, and then as we were writing and I got to know him better, I kind of tailored. Kyle to match Andrew um, you know there's a lot of Andrew in Kyle um, it reflects his personality and I thought that that would be a good you know start you know I think for us as far as like building a character and there were things that Andrew brought to Kyle that I think that are were, you know he became a hero and I think that that's that's the qualities that he did he was you know he was likable he was strong, he faced things head on, and he never gave up. And I think that that's what made him such a heroic character and what made f- fans want to root for him. He wasn't whiny, he wasn't snivelly, you know, he wasn't like, you know, he wasn't whiny. He just he he just took <laughs> what Jason gave him and did his best to stay on his feet and keep going and he didn't stop until, you know, he couldn't walk anymore. Am I correct in my understanding that Kyle actually died in the original script? He did. He died two different ways. And the producers begged me not to kill him. And then Tom got involved, and that basically sealed the deal on his surviving. Um, the, original, the original ending was his head crush. He dies at the side of the lake, and that was the end of the film. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then everyone was like, oh, what an awful way to end a movie. And I was like, it's actually the best way to end the movie, but, I, I, but I, I am open to making this thing longer and figuring something out. And so that's when I started coming up with the ambulance scene and I had a a version of the ambulance. I was like, well, I want to do more than one death. Like I I want to surprise people and do multiple deaths at the end of the film. So there was a version of the ambulance scene where, um, 
Jason does the exact same stuff, but Tom wasn't involved. And the driver gets killed. And we do the same thing. We stayed inside the van. Everybody's killed off screen. And then Jason climbs inside the van at the end. And we do the same drone shot where it's droning up. And instead of it, the ambulance driving away, Jason steps in and blood just starts flying out the back of the ambulance. And then it tilts up to the horizon and says, never hike alone. Um, and that was the way it was supposed to end. And then when Tom came on, I told him about the ending. And so there were two endings. There was one where nobody died and they drove off into the sunset and you didn't know whether Jason was real or not. And Kyle had survived and he just said he's still out there and he drove off. It was very much like a, a match to, to Friday the 13th part one. And then obviously it was the ending I just pitched you where everybody died. But when Tom came involved, we were like, ugh. I cannot kill Tom Matthews. What are we going to do? And so that's when we came up with the idea that since everything happened off screen, you don't necessarily see what happens Tom. And even though Axel died, he did get there just in time to save Tom's life. I mean, Tom's injured, and we'll see that in future installments. Um, but he's able to get in and save the day and drive off and kind of say, and that's what opened up the door for us to want to do a web series, was that that was the kickoff to okay, what's this story? And that's what you know prompted me to start writing the Never Hike Alone 2 film as a featured sequel and then um, eventually coming up with a web series. Well, Tom Matthews has not done a vast number of fan films. And in fact, if he turned down the uh, vengeance uh, for having been in Never Hike Alone, what was your pitch to him that got him to say, yes, I've got to be a part of this? We sat down and he watched half the film. Um you know, fully, you know, we had sequences. I showed him, um, we had shot, no, I shot half the film. I showed him the second trailer and, you know, the second trailer really brought to life everything that we were talking about. It had some of our stunt sequences in it and had some of our effect sequences in it. Um, I showed him stuff that, you know, people didn't see into the movie. I showed him behind the scenes stuff and it was really just this sit down of a guarantee that, listen, I'm not going to take up much of your time. Um, I'm going to need you out there for one, maybe two days if you take this role. I can't rewrite the film for you uh, because I'm already halfway in and I don't have enough money to go back and reshoot it, you know, with Tommy, with a Tommy storyline. And I pitched him, what I pitched him on was, you're going to be, you're going to be the the guy jumping out of the birthday cake at the end and just surprising everybody. Like you are, what I wanted to do, it was really a big mission of mine that Never Hike Alone Stood on Its Own Two Feet is a movie made by fans Cured by fans, fundraised by fans, made by fans, like the whole nine yards, just like this is a fan film. And then once you got through everything that we did that we thought was like kind of raising the bar of a fan film, like the stunts, like some of the effects work that we did, the storytelling, the camera work, the drone work, a lot of the stuff that we put into it to make it feel like a bigger than life kind of fan film. Then at the end, we surprise you with Tommy Jarvis and he just shows up out of nowhere, you know, the best part of us not announcing it um, at the time, like nobody knew Tom was in it, which was really great. So it was a big surprise for fans. Um, so that was, you know, when I pitched him in that, I said, this is this is the trajectory of it. And I think that like that's going to be a big a big moment. Like think about how all the people we can surprise. And I think that that's when he was like, all right, this will be special. This isn't like trying to come up, you know, at the time, like when he didn't really know me, he was like, you know what, I can at least trust him enough for this. And this seems worthy to get into. We really love the footage. And we started working together and it really worked out. And, you know, it was his ideas that actually led to Never Hike Alone too. He pitched me a couple of scenes and I went, oh my God, that's, I love that scene. I just don't know where it fits in this movie, but I know it fits in this story somewhere. Um, and that's some of the scenes that he pitched me are what we are going to make for Never Hike Alone too. Uh, the practical effects in the movie are really good from, you know, Kyle's wounds to 
you know, Jason getting hit with the axe to Andrew's head being crushed by the lake. Who designed Ghost Jason? Um, that was designed by uh, an artist by the name of Kelsey Burke. Her and I, um, it was funny, her and I got together at a Starbucks one day. And we talked about all the kills in the movie and then we talked about the face. And we talked about how we were going to make the face work. So the, the cowl itself is actually an off-the-shelf hood that anyone can buy from CFX in Louisiana. Same with the gloves. Um, you just look their silicone lineup. They have it. It's a, you know, the face has the cutout cowl. Um, and our idea was that since we didn't have the money to build a brand new head, we would lay the face into the existing cowl and blend it in. And so Kelsey and I talked about some, some tech, you know, just some reference. We sent stuff back and forth. It was very funny because we sent us each other the same reference a lot of the time. Like we'd send something and like she'd send something back like at the same time and be like, oh yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. That's the thing I'm talking about. And so I originally did a, a Photoshop cluster of all the reference that we did. And then I passed that off to her. She sculpted it. She molded it. She did the silicone work. She painted it. She did the dental work on me. Um, to get it in, um, they that she casted my face. She did all the work. She applied it, and it you know it looked really cool. And so we designed it around us not having the budget to do what you would typically see in a film um, or the type of level. But we did what we could to show off the damage that Jason had received in previous films. Also, this like kind of like eyeless, ghoulish Jason, this ghost Jason style. Um, and then used lighting to our advantage to where like part of the design of his face was actually a part of the lighting of the cinematography or that we would black out some of his face, knowing that we wouldn't have to pay attention to the detail as much there because we we're focusing on the eyes and the mouth mostly. Generally speaking, what what of the original franchise is canon in the Never Hike Alone universe? I consider one through eight canon. Um, I consider this a when. Jason washed out to sea at the end of eight that he wasn't necessarily defeated. You know, this is the first time he wasn't chained down or anything. And eventually he found his way back to Crystal Lake and went into hiding. And this is that Jason 30 years later. So I can't tell you 100% for sure how the continuity between one and eight actually work um, because no one can. And those are, that's, that's those are directors films that I can't do. But what I can say is that in the Never Hike Alone universe, in some way, shape or form, those events happened and their memories and they're long lost. And they were in the 80s or in the early 90s. And, you know, they're basically treated like uh, Jonestown now or anything of, of that ilk where it's there. But even more secretive because this town has gone reclusive. Even the town has like receded itself and even though it's still called crystal lake they kind of hide in plain sight and they're like is it the same crystal lake and they're like no it's not the same there's you know how many crystal lakes there are in america like trust me it's not this one and that's the way that they portray themselves now and, and at least in our universe and when you know when kyle stumbles across the camp in our world it has been taken off the map i mean when he looks in his book he's like the trails aren't here this this camp's not here this is much more than a nature preserve and you realize that Camp Crystal Lake in this world has been hidden within the bounds of a nature preserve that's just really the local police and townships not being able to do anything about this place. Like, they don't want to go up there. They don't want to deal with it. They just want to forget about it and move on. And, you know, and eventually somebody's going to find it, and that's our character, Kyle McLeod. Now, I mean, when you said when Tom came on board, you know, he was not originally in the script. What was it, you know, as a sense of legitimacy for a filmmaker— to have him come on board, someone who was 
such a fan favorite and, you know, such a character that was, as far as, you know, the top fan films like four and six, as far as having him come on the project, what did that mean to you as both a filmmaker and a fan? I mean, I was floored. You should have seen me. I was like, came home and I was just like, I couldn't believe it. And it, I felt an intense amount of pressure to, you know, make sure that like our, cause I mean, like when you're running, when you're, when you're on a set with your friends and you're getting stuff done, you, there's allowances. You're all like, whatever, we're just roughing it and all that stuff. But like when you want to bring someone on who's been in amazing films and has had a, an amazing career, you want them to feel like they're on a set like they'd be anywhere else. And so we took a lot of great care into making sure that, you know, when he came on set that we had a place for him to be and, um, that he was well taken care of and everything was run professionally. And I was very proud of, you know, the growth of our team of being this guerrilla unit that goes out and shoots in small packs and then also was able to expand to a team of about 25 people and run a functional set. So, I mean, that, you know, that was a big thing for me of being able to like not only work with Tom, but also make Tom feel comfortable like he was in something that meant something and that was being well run. Um, and that was, you know, that was really important to me just being able to work with him and directing him. It was very surreal. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's something I will never forget. And I'm, you know, I can't thank him enough for giving me that opportunity and also, you know, giving us the opportunity to continue working forward and tell his story. Now, Never Hike Alone has just about a million hits on YouTube and I've, I've yet to see a fan have a negative perspective on it. Did you There's a few. <laughs> Well, I'm sure because you, you know, you're probably out there, you know, beating yourself up looking through the comments. But did you expect the fan reaction to be so positive? No, I expected it to polarize them and and say, oh, well, you know, there's no kills and uh, what's the point? And I'm glad that so many fans get it. They get that I like, I get it. Yeah, it kills all those things. Yeah, lovely. But like, how about for once, can we just stop and take a look around Crystal Lake for a little while? Like, how fun would that be? You know, that's always been a wish fulfillment thing for me. I've always wanted to see in a film is actually walk around and tour the camp. And if you're going to do the found footage aspect, that's the way to do it. I mean, this is, you know, the best found footage films are usually some type of archaeological, like archaeological shirt. Uh, bleh. I can't say it. Archaeological like search. That's what I want to say. There we go. And or some fact finding mission. And I think that by turning Friday the 13th into a fact finding mission, you know, there are things that fans know that the character doesn't. And there are moments that like when the character gets to a place that the fans recognize it and it's like going home again. And I think that that was kind of the point of the middle of the movie until we come to Jason, you know, and prior to that, you know, it was the opening to like any other, you know, standard adventure movie you've ever seen. We wanted to establish that type of tone. And so like I expected, you know, a lot of people to kind of dismiss it. But the fact that so many people have welcomed it and so many um you know, festivals reached out to us and said, hey, we'll, we'll welcome this amongst the original bunch, even though it's a fan film. And, you know, we got disqualified from uh, from awards and things like that and a lot of them. But it wasn't really about that. It was more about getting the opportunity to sit in a room with Friday the 13th fans and show it to them and then turn around and go, wow, I would have never expected that out of a fan film. That was really good. You know, good job. And so that was that's like the reward of it. And, you know, you said when Tom came on board and he pitched some scenes to you that were like, oh, I can't fit it in this movie, but we'll fit it in future movies. What was the point where you decided, all right, we're making more of these and we're making a prequel? Um, I knew I wanted to make more. I mean, I've always wanted to make more. I think the question of making more was never really a question. I just want to keep making Friday the 13th films as much as I can. Um, and I think it was right around when the end of Never Hike Alone 
I really believed in the film and I thought that if I could get it in front of some people who actually make decisions on Friday the 13th world that I could actually start pitching Never Hike Alone 2 as a feature film because it really is its own movie. It's its, its own, the way Never Hike Alone 2 was written originally, it, it really was its own story about Tom that Never Hike Alone would have, good a bit, would have been a good compendium for. So you eventually, yes, you would have met the Kyle MacLeod character. You would have seen brief snippets of him, but you wouldn't have seen him as in depth from his perspective. It would have all been from Tom's perspective. And we would have jumped to Kyle every now and then. Um, and when I, you know, I started to like look at it and, you know, with everything going on with the, the franchise things and I pitched it to a few people, I started to realize that like I can either sit around and wait for the franchise to give me permission again or I can just figure it out of myself. So that's when I started thinking about the the web series aspect and do and breaking up the film into three parts. So an act one an act two and an act three, each with their own budget, each with their own shooting schedule. And while I was doing that, you know, I got the idea as I had been pitching around to other fan films who were looking for ideas. I was like, you should do something in the snow. You should do something in the snow. You should do something in the snow. That's the one nobody's touching. You should totally do that. And everybody passed on the idea. They're like, no, we don't feel like shooting in the snow. And I went, I, I don't blame you. And then as I was writing the story for never hike alone, I started to think, I mean, Never Hike Alone 2, I started to think of this story about Never Hike in the Snow. And so I thought, you know, it would be really nice since we're not going to be doing anything for a while. It'd be cool to just go out and make a snow short, like really stick to my guns on this one. Keep it under 20 minutes, spend only so much money and, you know, just knock something out and drive by ends wild. It was the same thing. I think the same inspiration for what like Disappear was the music video that we just released. You know, it was something to like go out and wow fans with like a small amount of money, but do something really like high concept. Um, and then that's, you know, and that's kind of how I originally thought about never hike in the snow. And then I connected it to the never hike alone kind of series idea and expanded the characters, expanded, you know, put Tommy in it and I put Rick in it and I put another character in it that you'll meet through the series. Who's very important. Um, and you know, kind of show what life is like prior to, uh, Kyle McLeod. And then as you start watching the series, you start to see where we meet Kyle McLeod and then what life is like after Kyle McLeod. So after the Never Hike Alone web series wraps up, are there any any future plans going beyond that? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a lot more of what I could do. Whether or not fans will still continue to support it, I don't know. I mean, I think by that time, the the, the thing's got to be over by then, the, the, the lawsuit rights. And so I think that that's really good. That's when it's you're going to see probably see fan films start to die down because then we're going to be anticipating like the real ones. Um, I would love to pitch those films to Warner Brothers and New Line and Spring Hill and whoever else is is jumping on this stuff. Um, you know, I've t- tales about Pamela, sequels to other films, you know, original content like a complete reboot of Friday the Thirteenth. I've, you know, these are just ideas that I've I've written down and and put in as much thought as I have Never Hike Alone to thinking like these will all be really interesting things for Friday the Thirteenth fans to enjoy. And if given the opportunity, I think that. You know, I'd like to take this to the next level and make everything legitimate, including Never Hike Alone, taking this and turning it to the franchise and rallying the fans and, you know, being a Cinderella story for like out of all of this, like if there's one thing that emerged out of all of this drought was that eventually a fan figured out, made his way into the industry, you know, really answered the call to the fans and then is now carrying the torch for us in the next generation. And, and you know, they can trust me with, you know, leading Friday the 13th in the right direction. Have you had any studio backlash? Because, you know, you pitch movies to them. And if anyone's played the games, you know, pretty much since 2016, 2017, we've all just been sitting in limbo waiting for something to happen. 
have they given you any pushback? Because I know you haven't, you know, you make a million dollars off Never Hike Alone or anything, but have they been knocking at your door saying, hey, calm down a little bit? No, I mean, they know that there's no money in fan films. I mean, we end up, I mean, Never Hike Alone and most of these fan films end up putting our, the filmmakers in debt more than anything. I mean, we raised some money, but we really didn't raise that much crowdfunding money. And everything else that was given to us was a gift. Um, you know, that only paid for so much. A lot of it came out of personal pocket. And I spent a long time after that paying it off doing, you know, the Blu-ray runs and stuff like that just to pay off the rest of the budget because we had to, you know, when we do into, when people wanted Blu-rays, I had to bring it back in the color correction and finish it. And like, it was, there were lots of things that, um, that you, people don't realize how much it costs to make independent films. There's so much cost in each level of production, and a lot of it comes out of your personal time. If you can put in the personal time, that's the cheap way to do it, but it takes a long time because you only got so much time. Or you can go find someone on the internet you know, with some crowdfunded money or even your own personal money and say, hey, you want to design this for me? And just, you know, you pay freelancers. Um, so it's, it, you know, it was a, um, it was a complicated you know, process of, of getting it made. And I think that, you know, the, the studios, as long as we're not making hundreds of thousands of dollars, which I don't think, you know, none of us have even really, I mean, we got a toe over the line of 51,000 on our Blu-ray campaign and no one uh, that I've seen in the Friday the 13th realm has ever crossed that. Um, I've seen some other fan films go into the hundreds, 200 thousands and get away with it. Uh, I think I saw a power Rangers film at around $300,000, um, but then there was the one that went over, you know, one point or two million or one point two million or something that for Star Trek, and that was the one that got the lawsuit. So when you start talking about million dollar budgets and seeing that like there's actual like now that's money that's gonna be processed and it's gonna go through a lot of things and people are not getting their cut from the franchise, then I think that's when you see them really worrying about it. But for Victor or Sean or anyone in the franchise to take the time to uh, sue us, that would be a waste of their money. And if they sent us a cease and desist, we would just stop. But I don't think that that's the way they see fan films. I think that they have that same spirit of like fan films keep the spirit alive. No one's trying to compete. No one's trying to make a buck. No one's trying to, you know, get rich off this stuff. Like I'm not living in a mansion. I'm in a, <laughs> I'm in a one bedroom apartment in Los Angeles. Um, so like nobody's, you know, nobody's like running rich over here. Um, and I don't think with any of the fan films and a lot of us have raised money for charity. I know vengeance raised a ton of money for, you know, the Shriners. We raised money for uh, penny pines reforestation project. And we also did our own, uh, restoration project, the, the college camp restoration project, which restored our camp crystal lake. So people don't cut themselves on glass and, you know, have safe place to walk when they go visit, you know, our, our camp crystal lake. Um, we also donated to the JD March recovery fund who JD was one of our directors of photography on never hike alone. He suffered a, um, a life altering neck injury, um, towards the end of production, not on production. It was actually after we finished filming. Um, but he was at the beach dove into the water and he's been uh, paralyzed from the shoulders down ever since. Um, he's been two years in recovery now and we stay in touch and we check in on him. He just did some stuff down in Kentucky to maybe come become part of a study that might help him walk again. And he's like, a he's hearing good news. So we're all just rooting for him. So anytime we can raise some money and we get some extra stuff, we'd like to put it in his JD March recovery fund, which you can find online at jdmarts.com. So yeah, you should definitely check those out. And, uh, both Penny Pines and JD Marts. Now you've got other Friday alums, uh, more particularly in for part six coming in. How excited were or are you to work with them? 
Oh, wow. I mean, with Vinny Guastafaro, I'll start with him. He, so Tom introduced me to Vinny right after Never Hike Alone. So Vinny and I met, we went for breakfast one day, and I think we sat there for three hours just talking about the business and being Vinny's and just, I don't know. And he was just this ball of energy and I loved it. And he invited me to come audit his acting class. And so I've been auditing his acting class as a director for like two years. I come in, I sit in, I watch him work with actors. I watch actors work out scenes on stage. And it helps me as a director understand the, um, the mindset of an actor. And, you know, Vinny teaches a, a few techniques, which is pretty cool. So I get to see a, a variety and his, his, you know, he very much, we're in the same school of like, go as, you know, break it and then pull it back type type deal. I usually, I usually encourage my actors to bring something big, um, not feel afraid to really let go with their, their characters. And when they go too far, I'll rein them in. If not, you end up playing this game of like, Oh, just a little bit further, just a little bit further. And you never get there. So that was like, that's something that Vinny and I have, have the same thing. So when he came on to like bringing back Rick Cologne, that, I mean, for me, that was like the key. I mean, that's one of the key elements of the Never Hike Alone web series is the fact that we're putting Tommy versus Rick again. You know, Rick's held a grudge all these years for the death of Garrus, blames Tommy for it. Tommy won't leave. He stays in town and he's a nuisance. He's like Ralph. He finds him in all the places he shouldn't find him, kicking up shit, you know, kicking up controversy and rumors. And, you know, Rick's got to run this town and keep it safe and keep the secret locked up. And, you know, and Tom just he's a pain in his ass. And, and, you know, they've just been bickering for 30 years. You know what I mean? And it's just and you see the tail end of this relationship of what the and I think what's really cool about it is we actually build it into our storyline about Rick's sneaking suspicion about thinking that Tommy may snap one day again. He, he thinks Tommy's a ticking time bomb. And so when bodies start turning up in Crystal Lake, I don't know if it's Jason that Rick looks towards first to, to blame for it. And so I think that that's going to become a cool obstacle for Tommy's character to overcome as he's trying to figure out this mess that he stumbled into when he meets Kyle McLeod. So Rick's character being in it is not just a, hey, we're putting an alumni in just for the sake of having an alumni. He plays a key role in the story and really setting the tone of, you know, why Crystal Lake is the way it is now. And in fact, in Never Hike in the Snow, Vin has one of the most important scenes, if not the most important scene, aside from, you know, all the fun stuff. Rick has, you know, he really has this scene of command where you see how he runs his town and you see the, the circumstances that he's kind of dealing with. And I think that because Vinny's such an amazing actor, you're going to see a level of performance that you would see in Friday the 13th Part 6. You're getting that same actor coming back, but now delivering, you know, that being that character. And he can't wait to get back into the role. I mean, he said time and time again that Rick Cologne is probably, if not the favorite, one of his most favorite characters that he's ever done. He still gets mail about it. He still signs wherever the red dot go. You bang. He understands fans love Rick and he can't wait to bring them back. And of course, our other big signing was uh, Douglas Tate. So he, obviously, I played Jason along with Brian Forrest. Um, but, you know, when I decided to step away from playing Jason um, to focus on acting, I had actually received an email from Douglas Tate early on in the process of um, Never Hike Alone, uh, what, right after we had, like, released. And it was very encouraging, and it was just really nice. He was the first alumni who, you know, I, of course I knew Tom, but, um, but at the time I didn't know anybody else and nobody had reached out to me and, and Doug was the first and Tom McLaughlin was the second Tom McLaughlin sent me a, a message on, on Facebook, 
Um, but Doug was the first one to write an email and I remember bumping into him at a convention and we had a nice long conversation. It was a lot like Vinny. Like we just started talking about film and short film and he told me like what he wanted to do with his career and what he'd be doing. And like, I was very appreciative of all the suit work that he's done over the years. Like he played Jason and Freddy versus Jason, but he's gone on to play all these different characters. He's, you know, he's working in all the top notch horror films these days. He was in the conjuring. He was in Hellboy. He's messing with Sasquatch. He's in legions on in CW. He does, you know, work across the board and he's just very talented at what he does. And when I started thinking about like, who would be, you know, if I could bring a Jason in, who would I bring in? And because Doug was so nice to me and I really realized that like, he's this untapped potential for a Jason. When people talk about, you know, alumni Jason's, they always go to Kane They're like, bring back Kane, bring back CJ, bring back blah, blah, blah. Like it was like, you know what? Doug's primed to come back and really deliver something because he's, a character actor, he's a creature actor, and he's an actor. And that's what I need for Ghost Jason. Ghost Jason is not just a dude in a suit hacking and slashing. There's some things ticking in his brain, and I think anyone who watched the Disappear music video understands kind of the nuance of what I try to bring with the character. So Disappear was really my farewell to like playing the character full-time. And I wanted to kind of set a precedence of what I think Doug is going to bring to the character. Doug is going to bring that nuance and that character to it but he's also going to bring next level stunt work. So the type of like I can do some pretty decent stunt fighting. I'm not too bad, but I have to say I have to give a lot of credit for Brian Forrest for carrying the torch on most of those fight scenes for us in 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 Never Hike Him Alone. That's a lot. A lot of that's him. You know, I did a lot of the acting stuff and a lot of the establishing stuff. I wore the face stuff. I jumped out of the water. I did all the stuff on the trail. But a lot of the fighting and a lot of the stuff in the camp is Brian because we had to move through production and he was doing such a great job. And I still foresee Brian coming in and doubling for Doug on days either when we can't get him or we need to do double work, you know, because Doug's going to be our A actor. But I want Doug to do a lot of stuff because he is he's just very good at what he does. And I think you'll see Brian Forrest popping up like in uh around the movie in different places, which will be really, really cool. Um, about one of the fight scenes in Never Hike Alone. Uh, how much fun was it for you when Andrew got hit in the dick? <laughs> I was laughing. Um, that was Brian. Uh, and I, well, I think what happened, it happened twice. I think it happened once when we were rehearsing and I was rehearsing with him and I hit him in the dick. And then when Brian was doing it, one of the first takes, he smashed him and I was behind camera. And we all, you know, it's like, those are the times when everyone laughs on set. Everybody has a good time and then you have to refocus and keep going. But yeah, I mean, it's always, I always, anytime something happens to Andrew, like he falls, like he fell on his face so many times during Never Hike Alone where he'd be running through the forest. He'd have this big backpack on. We'd stuff it full of like jackets and shit, give it a little bit of weight. And he'd be like sprinting through the forest and like trip over a rock or like trip over a stick or like step in a hole and just face plant. And it happened so many times and like it was like every time he'd always fall and he'd fuck up his costume somehow. <laughs> We'd have some continuity error. I'm like, now you have this big grass stain and I can't get out of your pants for the rest of the day. I'm like, you jerk. And he's just like, yeah. <laughs> and so like we always used to pick on him. In fact, if you watch the behind the scenes, one of those classic falls is in the uh, in the behind the scenes at right at the end past the credits. Uh, what other projects outside the Never Hike Alone universe are you working on or planning to work on that aren't, you know, horror related? Not horror related at all? Hmm. Well, let's say not, not, not fan film related. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so we have Pathosis, which is actually finishing up post-production right now. That's directed by a good friend of mine, Austin Boning. Uh, we did it through Wompstomp Films, and we fundraised for that. So that's going to hit the festival circuit very soon. We're very proud of that one. That's a 13-minute short film that we produced and shot in Los Angeles, California. Um, we're really proud of it. It's, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, some of the VFX that are coming in now, like we were, we knew what we had like something, but like when you see it on, on camera, you're like, I know this is going to get better. This is just the plate. You know, we're going to build some stuff on top of this and really bring it into the next level. And, you know, you know, Austin, aside from being a previs genius, he's also a VFX guy. So he's, he knew that he was bringing certain elements to it that we were all like, couldn't wait to see as it, it would kind of blossom and now it's starting to blossom into that. And you know, it was my goal for our team to come away and walk away with a weekend that was well run, that we hit all our marks. We didn't run behind, which we didn't. We actually got all, everything we wanted to shoot. And we made it look really good. We shot with an Ari uh, Mini, which is, you know, kind of industry standard right now, and some Cook lenses. So we got a really cinematic look. It's shot beautifully by Ben Meredith. Um, and we... You know, we really crafted this because our goal was to make it feel like something you would watch on Netflix. So a production value of something that's that of that ilk. And so I think that that's what we're striving for. And hopefully we can get as close to that target as possible with this short. Go wow some people and show that Wompstomp Films is, you know, here to mess with people. And that will also kind of lead into our production value of what we'll be taking into Never Hike Alone as well. Um, aside from that, I've been attached to direct a film called The Kindness of Strangers for uh, Circle of Confusion. And uh, we've been working on the draft. I was given a draft of the film, uh, I would say, earlier this year. And we just finished. We're actually working on our second round of it right now. Uh, hopefully going to start fundraising for it soon. Not crowdfunding, but mostly going out, finding the funding for it and getting it made. And it's really cool. It's about two serial killers that discover each other on the open road and then battle it out to only one's left standing. It's kind of more of a horror action comedy. Um, and it's, you know, it's a 90 minute film. It's filled with a lot of stuff. I can't wait to, to make it. Um, you know, people said, Vin, go out and create a new slasher. And so in this film we have two. And so it's going to be really cool for, for people to see these two characters battle it out and see which one's going to last and make it to the end of the day. And that will be our, hopefully a, a new character that people will really rally behind. Uh, I put out the word that you were going to be on the show and asked for fans to submit questions. I only got two, but Maggothead underscore cosplays on Instagram wants to know, will at any point in the future, will we get to see uh, a Never Hike Alone where Ghost Jason's mask is just all kinds of fucked up? That's kind of the point. So with the web series, my idea is that I want to do something that's never been done before in Friday the 13th. And that's actually carry a consistent continuity as the costume continues to get damaged. So Ghost Jason, through each installment, obviously never hike in the snow. Nothing's going to happen to him because we need to see him established as he is and never hike alone. But as never hike alone, two, three and four happen, the, the episodes Ghost Jason will sustain an injury at the end of each one that will change his appearance and then lead into the next one. The mask will go through a change um, at some point um, and get damaged because we want to come up with our own version of like the axe mark and stuff like that. So we're going to try to think of ways to develop that as we go. Um, and I have we have an idea, but obviously ideas change as you move, uh, especially when you hear like what it costs to do certain things and like what we're going to do. So we're, we're exploring a few different ways, but we're going into it with the same attitude we had before. We're going to come up with something that, you know, makes fans sit back in their seat or sit forward and go, how the hell did they do that? And then we have uh, Kevin McKinnon on Facebook wants to know, 
as far as Never Hike Alone relates, what was the most difficult uh, scene to shoot? The most difficult scenes to shoot were the scenes on the no trespassing sign scene. Um, only because getting to those scenes required, um, getting to those sets, I mean, required a long, long hike with a lot of equipment. I would hike in costume. I wouldn't have the jellies on yet. We call them the jellies, the silicone hands and stuff, or the head. I would have it in a backpack. But other than that, we were carrying up like hundreds and thousands of pounds of equipment up this hill that was probably on with nothing is a 15, 20 minute hike straight up. So it's probably like a 45 minute hike straight up with all this equipment. Then you get up there. There is no base camp. There's no place to go to the bathroom. We're literally setting up on the side of the trail where like there's nothing. It's hot. Um, It's in the hills of Malibu. So like it was cool. Like, but what I loved about it was the look. And that's why we we made that thing. It was the hardest to shoot up there. And we shot up there, I want to say, seven or eight times because we either ran out of light a bunch of times or we didn't get something right. So we had to go get a pickup. But I got to say that once we conquered that trail and we got everything that we needed for it and it was done right, those are two of my favorite scenes in the film. And I always use those as examples of my opinion, our team functioning at its highest level on almost every front. Um, the cinematography, the acting, the pacing, the editing, the music, all those things are all firing on all cylinders, I think, for me. That's where I really feel proud about the film. And then also knowing what we overcame to shoot those scenes. And a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes, but Never Hike Alone gets so much credit because to the best of your ability, because continuity is kind of scrambly throughout the movies. You know, you have the no trespassing sign from part two. You have all, all the death scenes from part one. You, you know, the the brown sign with the Camp Crystal letters in white, I'm trying to describe, I think you know what I'm talking about. You guys went above and beyond to keep continuity alive and to keep it going further. And just from the you know hour we've been talking and with talking with Andrew about your love for the franchise, it's very apparent that you are a student of the franchise and you have a deep love for it and are doing everything in your power to keep it going and to do fans justice. And as a fan, I just want to thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. No, I mean, it's it's a nerddom. I've always like I, when I talk to my friends from home, it's funny. Every now and then I talk to somebody I haven't talked to in a long time and they always laugh because they're like even my brothers were like, this is so perfect for you. Like you've been jabbering about Friday the 13th for decades. And, it's, you know, we you made us watch them a thousand times and all this stuff. The fact that you've gone out and created something like this just seems to make a lot of sense. And, you know, like I said, like you never know what you're going to be when you grow up. And you always wonder what people are going to pursue in their careers. And like, you know, people may, may have like when I was a kid thought I was either going to play sports or do something else or get, you know, I, it was probably going to be sports related. But the fact that Friday the 13th ended up becoming the thing and that kind of, I don't know, became a calling card for me. They're all kind of laugh about it because they're like, of course it is. Of course it is knowing who you are. So, you know, that means a lot. But I mean, like, I love this franchise and I think that that's where it all comes from. I, you know, when people, I see people like say this up online, like, oh, they're doing it for the money or why are they doing this or why are they doing that? It's like, this is all I've ever wanted to do. Like my one dream in life was to direct a Friday the 13th movie, work on a film. And, you know, the more I tried to pursue it and get closer to it, the farther the the franchise ran away from me. They wouldn't make films. They wouldn't hire me at the studios. I wasn't, you know, my resume wasn't sharp enough to get as an, in as a production assistant for Friday the 13th, whatever they were going to make. You know, I couldn't get into Bay Films. I, you know, I couldn't even get my resume through the door. And then, you know, then they, they canceled them and I said, screw it. I'm just going to do it myself. Why am I going to keep waiting for somebody to give me what I want out of life when if I follow these simple rules, I might not get $10 million to make it, but hey, at least I get to make it. 
And I think, again, that's the most important thing about these fan films is that, like, as long as you make it and you get something out there for people to talk about, you're adding something to talk about and you're keeping things fresh and you're keeping people interested and you're doing a good job. And, and you know, when Womp Stomp Films is going to support you, I'm going to support you. Other fan films are going to support you. And I hope that fans do, too. And, you know, I've talked to a great number of people who are out there trying to make their own fan films. You've talked to me briefly before about making one. Brandon Zachman, who is my co-host, has talked to you at length about making his, and he's always talked about how gracious you are. And we've talked at length today about how you're willing to help other people. Because, again, you're not out to make a monopoly of this. You're not trying to have Never Hike Alone take over the Friday the 13th universe and make it a one-person operation. So what is it that is your inspiration to help these other people to get their vision on screen, although it may not be something that you would make yourself. I mean, I think it's always comes down to responsibility. This is a lot of fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nothing's more fun than strapping on some costumes and going throwing blood against some trees all weekend. But it's a responsibility, you know, on a lot of different levels. And I think that that's my biggest, my biggest piece of advice is, is, be responsible. If you crowdfund money and people give you money, deliver on your promises. Also, self-correct yourself and self-analyze yourself. Understand, you know, what your limitations are. You're not going to, you know, if you've never done a movie before, don't try to make a 90-minute feature, you know, starring 20 characters. You know, think about logistically what you have at your um in your reach. And so like we looked at what we had within our reach and then we used our talent to make the best of our ability. If you're just starting out, set your expectations to there. And if you've been doing this a long time and you think that you have high aspirations and you want to do something that like makes an impact and you want to take the film festivals, well treat it like any other film that's made to a film festival. And when you run a set, make sure your set is safe. Make sure that people are not going to be injured, that they're fed, that you know, you're not forcing people to work 18 hours for free and not taking care of them that like you have to take on the responsibility to become a group leader and succumb to the responsibilities that if something goes wrong you're going to have to pay for it and you're going to have to be responsible for it so i think that that's a key thing and i and you know it's it's as much as i want to promote people going out and having fun if you just want to go out and have fun have fun but if you want to make something and you want it to be production level quality then take the responsibility do your research and deliver on your promises absolutely I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, and I want to turn it over to you to let people know where they can find more info about you, Womp Stomp Films, and the upcoming web series. Well, we just revamped www.wompstompfilms.com, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S.com. It has all the information about the Never Hike Alone web series, about some of the other fan films that we have coming up. Uh, some will be announced very soon, too, as well as the original projects, such as Pathosis, which I talked about, Imagine, which we just released to our YouTube channel last week. All of our links to our YouTube channel, our Facebook our um, uh, Instagram, all that stuff is on the website. Also, our link to our Indiegogo, which is going on right now for Never Hike in the Snow. We're about $22,000 into it. We need to make it to $50,000. We're about a week and a few days in. Um, I like to see those numbers tick up a little bit faster pretty soon. We're going to do a special release this Friday, a really special perk that people have been asking and dying for. And so we finally figured out a solution to making more of them and people are going to love it. So definitely tune in on Friday for that. Um, and then pick up a shirt, pick up a, a pin, pick up a poster. Um, you can, you know, I think that one thing I want to say about the Never Hike Alone web series is you don't have to give 50 to 100 bucks to make a big impact. If you can convince three of your friends to give 5 to $10, or if you yourself can give 5 to $10, and then 
a thousand other Friday the Thirteenth fans give five to ten thousand. Well, that's between five and ten ten thousand dollars. We need to work together as a community to support each other. And I know that you know big things are real nice coming in. An EP coming in at five thousand dollars is really awesome. But we can really do a lot of damage if the fans unite and they put trust in fan films and they put trust in Wompstomp Films to tell this story that we're going to deliver something that. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna get to see the 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 franchise is not gonna do this in the theater. We're doing the things that like we hear you. I'm a fan, and we want to make stuff for the fans, and we really believe in the story that we're telling. So, you know, we need your support. We're on Indiegogo. Our link is on our website. Indiegogo, just check out Never Hike in the Snow. We're in the film section, and we're ready to uh, take the Friday the Thirteenth by film fan film world by storm once again. When can we expect generally release dates for these upcoming installments? My plan is to release and then launch as we go. So if we if all goes to plan and we make our crowdfunding of $50,000 by October 13th, we will begin pre-production right away. We will also um, start, we'll plan to shoot December 13th, which I've heard Big Bear's already getting snow. So that's working in our favor. That means we're probably going to have a nice wet, you know, white winter. We'll be able to get started December 13th. We'll shoot maybe four days. That's this production. Um, and then we will go right into post-production after the holidays probably take two and a half months to suture it all up and then you know march 13th comes around we release shortly after that release we'll count down to the never hike alone 2 campaign which will be for the first episode of the sequel side of things and we'll generally start from there so that and then that campaign will have its own unique features we'll probably start offering you know never hike in the snow on blu-ray at that point um and building perks as we go so you know probably you'll probably see never hike alone Never Hike in the Snow and Never Hike Alone 2 ending up on the same disc together. So we'll, uh, we'll, we might end up prepackaging those to raise more money for those projects. Well, everybody certainly go out, support Wombstop, support Room, and support Never Hike Alone. Because like you said, this is a fan film. We're all fans. So if we all do our part, it'll get made. It'll get made faster. And it's already been proven that they can do the quality. Now we're going to get the quantity. So I'm super yeah. excited as a fan. And again, Vin, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Well, thank you for having me on, and it's been a pleasure talking to you as well. All right. For Vince, uh, for Vince DeSanti, I'm Dylan Cloud, and this has been The Cutting Room 4. See you guys next time. You're listening to Halloween Unleashed. <laughs>